Last night I was driving home from the metropolis of Vaden, Mississippi, and I received a phone call by a man you may know, uh, Chuck Poole. Uh, he called me, I said, did you, you know, I guess you know that I'm preaching tomorrow at Northminster. And he goes, I did not. <laughs> so we had a great uh, conversation. And I said, is it okay you want me to say hey? And he goes, tell that church I love them. <laughs> so you are loved. You know you are. You know you are. It's always good to be here at Northminster with incredible staff like Leslie and Majors, among the best in all of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Thank you for inviting me. It's also fun to look out and see Debbie Pierce and John Studdard, my colleagues at Together for Hope, who do incredible work, and so many other familiar faces not least of which are my wife and children there in the balcony. It is a pleasure to be with you this morning. The sermon. How many disciples did Jesus call? Let's not make that rhetorical. Let's give each other permission. Let's just say it out loud. How many disciples did Jesus call? Anybody? The whole Baptist church, we've got to know this answer. <laughs> How many disciples? <laughs> twelve is the twelve's the one we go with normally, right? That's, that's what we land on. And all four Gospels, in fact, say so. Twelve disciples. But my question was definitely a trick question, which is why you didn't want to answer. <laughs> While it's true and biblically correct that there were 12 disciples, we actually don't know how many disciples Jesus called. We only know how many said yes to Jesus' call. In today's passage, we hear of four resounding yeses. James, John, Peter, Andrew, yes, 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 yes. It says that Peter and Andrew dropped their nets. James and John got out of the boat and left their father. And they followed Jesus. Those four men have been known, well known, this globe over, over for over 2,000 years. So here's the lesson. Drop your nets, get out of your boats, and say yes to Jesus. You can't get much more of a Baptist sermon than that. There's no mistaking in this passage today. This passage is nothing more or less than a perfect passage for the season of Epiphany. This is the season 
when the church universal pays close attention to all those passages that emphasize some kind of revelation. This is my beloved son. That was a revelation, no doubt, that you've already heard by now in this season of Epiphany. Today, Jesus calls four dudes. It's a revelation, an epiphany. And I wonder how their families heard this story time and time again at, at meals and at family gatherings. We're a very storytelling family, so imagine these stories that you would have to hear all the time. Every Shabbat dinner, every Passover, here's Peter telling the story, right? Epiphanic moments. I hope that this morning is an epiphany for you. I hope this morning is one for all of you. I hope you never forget this moment. This is a moment when Jesus is calling to us. And if there's a season within the Christian calendar when Jesus is calling, it is right now. The moment is important. And what a moment for the voice of Christ to act like a dawning sun to shine out over the darkness of death. What a moment. So what will it take for us to drop our nets, sit up from our desk and push the laptop down, get up and get out of our boats? What epiphany is Jesus bringing you? First, a cautionary tale. What happened, what happened to all the people that Jesus must have called that did not follow him? We actually know a powerful and sad story from all of the synoptic gospels. Both Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the terrible and devastating story of one young man that said, no. He actually didn't even say no. The text just says that he was grieving and had to just walk away. He walked away from Jesus. Now it comes from us in Matthew. If you're a Bible thumper and got your Bible in your hand, it's Matthew 19, 16 through 22, Mark 10, 17 through 22, and Luke 18, 18 through 23. It's in all three of those Gospels. And it's the story of the rich young ruler. Here's the story from Matthew's perspective. Then someone came to him and said... Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do, you, 
Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And the young man said, which one? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shouldn't bear false witness, honor your father and mother, basically the Ten Commandments, and also love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I've kept all of these. What do I lack? He knew there was something missing. What do I lack? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be perfect, go, sell all of your possessions, and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Let's sit with that last part. Then come, follow me. And he went away grieving because he had many possessions. The young man could not let go of his nets. He could not get out of the boat. He would not give up his possessions. He could not follow Jesus. And let's make no mistake about it. This is a calling story. Every much as bit as the Peter and Andrew, as the James and John stories. It's actually the exact same words. Even in the Greek. Where's Eddie? Eddie somewhere around here. He knows Greek. It says, follow me. The exact same words. Four men followed. One man walked away. How many countless others walked away? We all have these moments in our lives when we're standing at the threshold. We are at the point of a decision or even at the cusp of an epiphany. When I was a religion major at William Carey College, back when it was a mere college, all of us religion majors uh, came up to something called the line. It was a point in our theological education that when you crossed it, your faith would never, ever be the same again. And some students got there, they saw that line, 
And they looked past that line and what was on the other side, and they recoiled. No. I'm not going to doubt anything that I was ever told by my pastor or my Sunday school teacher or my mama or grandma. I've got all the answers I need, and I'm not crossing that line. In fact, to cross that line would be a sin. When I did go down to William Carey, the first day I drove into Hattiesburg, I went to a great restaurant known as Wendy's to have dinner. And I'm standing there at Wendy's, and there's a guy in front of me that had a T-shirt on that had a lot of Jesus stuff on it. So I thought, hey, we're just alike. So I said, hey, man, I'm, I'm new to because I'm that guy, right? I'm going to talk to you in a line at Wendy's. So I, I said, like, I'm, I'm new. This is my first year. I'm going to William Carey, da 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 da, da. And he goes, what kind of Bible do you read? Like, you know, the, one, the Bible, that one. And he goes, <laughs> right there in Wendy's, if you're not reading the King James Bible, you ain't reading the Bible. This guy's my age. And I go, okay, all right. Never heard that one before. But I did just get back for an entire summer in the Philippines serving as a summer missionary. And there, their Bible is called the Tagalog Bible. Uh, so they can't read King James. And what, what does that mean for them? And you could, I, you could see it in him. He just stunned. And he, it was, boy, it was rolling in his mind. He's just like, and then it, it hit him. Boom. And he looked at me and he goes, you need to ask God to remove those blinders from your eyes. And that was the end of that conversation. But he got to that epiphanic moment. He got to that line and he goes, absolutely not others of those religion majors took steps of faith and crossed that line into the unknown what could we learn some of those who crossed that line lost their faith that is a real thing that happens they found out that everything that they had built their faith on was as flimsy as sand and they couldn't trust anybody anymore. If they couldn't trust their pastor and Sunday school teacher and their parents, who could they trust? And they walked away. Others took that step of faith and they crossed that line all into the unknown. But they kept it a deep secret. They became pastors and never spoke of that line again. And they certainly never challenged their church members to think differently or to think at all. And there were still others that took that step of faith and crossed that line into the unknown. And they found that there was deep meaning in real questions. That life was not as simple as they had always heard and they were always told. And that there was a depth that was deep. But God was in the depths. 
And so were all the other epiphanies that they would ever have. Those lines exist in all other sectors, not just in academic religious studies. Those lines exist in politics too. When you get to a point, get to that line, when you start thinking that the politics that you've inherited from your mama and grandma and pastor and Sunday school teacher might not exactly be what you think is right, there you are. Hmm. You're standing on that line looking over and wondering, what do I do? What do I do? pretty important question to ask right now. Here we are in the middle of a legislative session in Mississippi when our elected officials are making real decisions about how we are structuring our society in the state of Mississippi. What is law and what is not law? How we will spend money and how we will not spend money. It is exactly in moments like these when our religion, our faith, and our politics intersect. As they should. I mean, Dr. King always reminds us that they should. Our faith, our belief in an all-loving God that welcomes everybody. A God who would come to us, not as a king, but as a child. Our faith in a sacrificial God willing to give it all. That faith is calling to us right now. Calling us to participate in ministries of love. Calling us to participate in justice calling us to participate in mercy, calling us to participate in our society as though we actually wanted God's will to be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. Our politics should definitely follow that. And if not, what are we doing? Jesus is calling us to follow. Calling us to drop our nets. Calling us to get out of our boats. Calling us to cross that line into the depths of God's love. So... Here are our choices in this season of epiphany. Come, follow me. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Or, come, follow me. 
when the young man heard this word, he went away grieving. As we come to the close of this hour of worship, you are invited to make important decisions for our Lord and our Lord's church during this time of response. 